Welcome back, everyone, to Drunk Bible Study Bonus Edition. This is for episode 163. Wow, we're getting on. We're getting up there, getting on and getting up. Uh, yeah, this was this was a lot of back and forth, in my opinion, for Yahweh. Yahweh started out kind of sweet and and sort of in the same vein of what he has been doing for a few episodes. And then he went right back to his old ways, just mm-hmm. right back into them. So, yeah, I mean, he talked in my section in chapter 35 about the Rechabites and Jehonadab. And that was a fun time. We, we were laughing at all of these different fun names. Uh, but essentially, yeah, it, they became this story to illustrate how great this group of people was in comparison, I guess, to the naughty, naughty Israelites that, you know, are causing mayhem and ruckuses and such. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about the Rechabites. They belonged to the Kenites who accompanied the Israelites into the Holy Land and dwelt among them. And the main body of the Kenites dwelt in cities and adopted settled habits of life. But Jehonadab forbade his descendants to drink wine or to live in cities. And they were commanded essentially to always lead this nomadic lifestyle, which is what we see when we visit upon these people in chapter 35. But this wasn't so, like a direct command from Yahweh. This was just their ancestor. From who was Jehonadab. Like, this is what we're going to do. From Jonadab, who said, this is how we're going to do it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they, they just, they adhered to this law, and then Yahweh essentially noted them for their fidelity to the old established custom of their family in the days of Jeremiah. And he said, because of this as a reward there will always be a descendant of Jehonadab in God's service. Right. So that's something to be aware of. And I wonder if this is going to come up again later. I'm assuming... But another fun fact... Oh, yes? I was just going to say, I'm assuming that that this mention of them and kind of their whole deal is one mm-hmm. of the reasons why my uh, grandma and grandpa would never touch any alcohol at all. We're very much oh. that type of like a no-alcohol Christian. Um, and so I'm assuming that this is kind of where they would go if they ever needed to back that up or defend that. Like this would have been the kind of like, look, Yahweh blessed it. Well, there is a thing called the Independent Order of Rechabites, mm-hmm. which is also known as the Sons and Daughters of Rechab. It's a fraternal organization and friendly society founded in England in 1835, but it's essentially promoting the total abstinence from alcoholic beverages. Hmm. So it's a full order. But there is also uh, a Christian group, a religious order known as Rechabites that are similar in some way to the Nazarites. Huh. So yeah. something that you know of potentially, Dedeker? Right, because the Nazarites were also about no wine, no oh, grapes, really? don't even touch a grape. Really? That's something that came up in the chat during the episode is that okay. it clarifies that they don't drink any wine, which we did learn about the Nazarites, that that was their deal, is no grape products of any kind. No raisins, no grapes, and no wine. Yes. But it's not no alcohol. (laughs) So they could still be doing, you know, Mm. other distilled things, potentially. So it's unclear, like, what was their rule? Was it no alcohol, or was it just no grape Mm -hmm. products? Mm. 
Well, it seems like this independent order of Rechabites is total abstinence from all alcoholic beverages. Right. So that's like a thing. And and that for anyone who's, you know, related to them essentially. And something that this Wikipedia article pointed out is that you might find um, I-O-R, the the initials I-O-R on tombstones or on like graves. Mm -hmm. And that means that they are in the independent order of Rechabites. So that's kind of fun if you see that, like in an old engraved or maybe in a newer grave. Yeah. I did mm-hmm. once upon a time have a book that was a guide to like symbology on gravestones because I'm that yeah. weird kind of witchy person. Yeah. And yeah, that seems like something that would be in that book. Indeed. Yeah. So that's fun. Um, there is, Emily, there is, I think, a fair amount of controversy within the Christian church today over whether or not Christians should drink at all. Hmm. Or whether that's a cool I get thing that. to do. I get that. I was raised... Whether drinking is cool or not. <laughs> is it cool? Well, so is it not? Maybe it's too cool. I was raised, and I do not remember if this came from Christian school or if this came from church. I don't know where this came from, but I remember growing up essentially with the impression that the way we're interpreting the Bible is that it is a sin to drink until drunkenness to the point where you're irresponsible and making bad choices. But if you can drink in moderation, that's okay. Now, there are other interpretations that lean into the whole my body's a temple sort of thing. And so putting anything in your body that's going to compromise that is no good. Um, Mm -hmm. I got a very funny book a few years back called Stuff Christians Like which was a spoof yeah. of the popular it's blog great stuff book. white people like. Okay. And in it, he had a whole article about how if you are a Christian who drinks, how you can suss out other Christians who drink without asking them directly and oh my possibly gosh. being judged. And so it's like one of them was like, get a six pack of some old timey like soda bottles and bring it over to someone's house and then see how quickly they know where the bottle opener is. Or not. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> um, I love that. I love that very much. You know, if they're like, oh, it's right here. Or or if they have to be like, oh, gosh, where is that? Oh, goodness. You know, and really dig mm. for it. That's a way that you can tell. But oh, know, it's yeah. I'm sorry. I don't have anything that will open this in the right. house. Yes. They're like, well, yeah. I then guess you, know. you don't drink. Yeah. Can't uh-huh. hang with these people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fascinating. Uh-huh. All right. What do you have, Dedeker? Yeah. So I looked into this whole releasing the Hebrew slaves sort of thing. So to backtrack to the stuff that we read in Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy, you know, it's okay to have slaves, Mm -hmm. but we are supposed to release them after six years. That was supposed to be the terms of, at least with Hebrew slaves, that slavery or indentured servitude has a particular limit on it. And again, as a review, there were a number of ways that a Hebrew might become a slave. So if you were very poor, you might choose to sell yourself. Mm. Or a father might choose to sell their daughter as a servant to a particular tribe or to a particular house with the intention that she's going to marry into that family. Mm. So instead of marrying her off right away, we preemptively try to I guess, maximize the amount of money that I can get by selling her as a servant first and then she's going to marry into that family and then that's okay. Mm. Also, if you became bankrupt and you were a business owner or a merchant, then you could sell one of your servants off to your creditors, which is cool. (laughs) You know, it's not even yourself. It's it's your servant. Or if you were a criminal, for instance, if you were a thief and you couldn't pay back what you're supposed to pay back. Mm -hmm. So remember, there were a lot of laws about 
Mm. If a man steals a camel, he has to pay back twice. He has to pay back two camels. Two camels. And that's how it's going to be square. But if you were a thief, you were caught, and then you didn't have anything to pay back somebody with, then you could also be sold into servitude. Wow. Right. So, yes. But again, with these rules that regardless of what you did or how you became a slave or a servant, after six years, you need to be released. And of course, what we're gathering from this story is people were just ignoring that, Hmm. right? Either they were ignoring that or they were essentially re-upping people's contracts for another six years perpetually and kind of dragging people along, essentially. And so something that some writers pointed out is the fact that this part of Jeremiah is remarkable because of the fact that not only is he saying, hey, release all your Hebrew slaves, but he's also saying, I don't care how long they've been working for you. Hmm. You got to release them. It doesn't matter if it's been Hmm. six years or if it's been one year, you got to let them go. And another part that people pointed out was the fact that he specifically says, you know, grant a release to your neighbors and friends. And by using the phrase neighbors and friends, he's actually giving them humanity. That's cool. Instead of Hmm. just calling them slaves. Yeah. Um, Right. Which is interesting. And now, of course, what we saw is everyone does it, which is surprising. We don't have a lot of verses that are like, oh, and the people obeyed. And it was great. (laughs) That's true. But we do here. They do it, but then once the siege of Babylon is over with and they feel less of a need to really intensely repent, then they're like, oh, we can go back to the way things were and get Mm. all our slaves back. And Yahweh did not like that. Of course. No. Yeah. Not into it. Yes. I mean, it is one of those cases where I'm like, all right, Yahweh, like, sure, mess them up. I'm 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 on your side this time. This this seems this seems reasonable. Reasonable thing to punish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I found a very interesting Christian blog that really leaned into the fact that yeah, this is a humanitarian thing and if you wouldn't subject your neighbor and friend to slavery, then don't do it, but this should also extend to all workers. Indeed. Including mm-hmm. people who are in very like manipulative, exploitative situations that they shouldn't be exposed to that because they are humans. Right. And therefore, we shouldn't. And I was like, wow, you're very progressive for Christian. That's my story. Okay. All right. Great. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so I wanted to talk to you about Asaph. Cool. Asap. Asap's fables. Asaph's psalms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so basically, here's the deal. There are three persons in the Bible named Asaph. Or three mentions of a person named Asaph. Maybe are a similar person. Some are the same person. Similar Maybe they're different person. people. <laughs> yes. Um, but to talk about the the Psalms specifically mm-hmm. and, and kind of like what this is all about, there are 12 Psalms that are attributed to Asaph. And we just read Psalm 50. And then the next ones are going to be Psalms 73 through 83. So we're going to have like a little break, but then we're going to go on a string of Asaph in concert. You know, this was like Asaph opening for David next okay. week or something. Okay. So we finished our Sons of Korah slash Mumford and Sons show. Now Asaph right. is opening again for David on his comeback tour. Amazing. Yes, exactly, exactly. So basically, the, the deal with this is that a psalm being attributed to Asaph could mean a few different things. So one option is that it could be psalms that were part of a collection from the Asaphites, which was a name used for temple singers. So it could have been just like sort of from this particular songbook or like 
a song that the temple singers were known for or something like that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Another possibility is that they were performed in the style of Asaph or like the guild who kind of descended from Asaph potentially. Um, And then the other option is that Asaph is actually the one who either wrote them or at least transcribed them. Okay. And there's some theories that actually David wrote these. Really? Oh. Just in a different voice? And that Asaph just wrote them down. Okay. Or what if, what if it could be like a Garth Brooks, Chris Gaines situation where he wanted to experiment with a different genre, but didn't want to use his own name for it because his name was all the sort of sensual David songs. (laughs) And he wanted to try out this this sort of tougher thing. Angry God songs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's like like in the, when was it? 90s? I think it it was actually, I just looked it up. It's only in 1999. For one year, Garth Brooks. Became Chris Gaines. Yep. Made a fake persona okay. named Chris Gaines where he had like the emo bangs uh-huh. what? Yeah, he really all he of like it. full on did a different look fictitiously Chris Gaines is from Australia oh what whoa okay like, Garth Brooks whole this other is, person this you need to ballsy. calm down Garth just calm <laughs> whole down whole other person <laughs> oh my god uh, yeah oh I guess so the persona was originally for a motion picture that never ended up getting made but he did end up releasing an album as Chris Gaines. He had a soul patch and, and everything. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and two of the songs from the album did chart on like the top five or like on the Billboard singles hits. So he clearly is a good enough musician. He could make this work even in this total other genre. But maybe it's just because people were just thought it was so weird. <laughs> I, I, I gotta... I'm sure it probably helps that he was already Garth Brooks and had a lot of connections to the music industry. Yes, yes, that helps. And wasn't sure. just, yes. Yeah. Did it go yeah. poorly when they found out that he was, in fact, Garth Brooks, though? I, I remember knowing this as it happened. I was in high school at the time, and I remember knowing that Chris Gaines was Garth Brooks. I don't think it was like mm-hmm. a secret, per se. Oh, okay. okay. Maybe it was a secret I don't think, for a little while? Maybe, I'm not sure. That's weird. But to bring this back to Asaph and the Psalms, uh, so one thing is that these particular Psalms, we don't know a time period for them necessarily, but one of the later ones gives some clues that it came during the post-exilic period, which is kind of the period we're in now that we're talking about. So it's actually kind of a good fit that's like post after they were exiled Mm -hmm. um, from, I'm assuming meaning exiled from you know, Jerusalem and Judah, maybe, maybe it was the earlier exile. Gosh, you know what? I don't even know. In any case, um, I was thinking about casting for Asaph. Oh, goodness. And now I'm starting to think maybe Garth Brooks as Chris Gaines would be a good casting choice. Maybe but that's good. I, I kind of like uh, leaning into that. Uh. My other choice was David Dryman or Draymond. I never know how you say his name. He's the lead singer of Disturbed. Oh. Um, considered one of the top 50, you know, top 100 vocal metalists of all time. You know, he's like very much, if we're going for metal being the genre of Asaph, I think he could be a fun fit because he's going to show up as an actual character later on when we oh, get wow. to Chronicles. Oh, So we've actually already encountered the period of time when he's a character. Okay. But in Chronicles, we're actually going to talk about him a little more. Huh. Musically, that's probably the more appropriate choice. But I just think that Garth Brooks as Chris Gaines is funnier. <laughs> <laughs> 
It is funny. I think that's a funnier image. Mm. It is funny. Mm. <laughs> Goodness. Okay, well, maybe we'll have to continue. But but do you think Chris Gaines could do metal, though? Yes. I want to see it. I want to see it, yes. Yeah? Okay. Okay. All right. So So with that, it's going to be you know a few episodes before we get back to it. But I did want to propose three possibilities for the ASAF music to use in the future when we come back to them. So I'm going to play you about 20 seconds of each of these. Okay. They're all metal, okay. but they're all kind of slightly different, slightly different variations. So just, just let me know if anything excites you. Are you ready? You ready for this? So ready. Yes. Okay. Here's option number one entitled Armageddon. So that was the first one. So, so what do you okay. think of that? Okay. It was loud. It was loud. I need I need comparison. I can't yeah. give opinions until I have okay. comparison. It's true. We're the yeah. worst worst audience. Yeah. Okay. Here's the next I'm one. I'm sorry. That's not exactly like the music that I tend to listen to in my life, but I, I'm willing to to have comparisons and to make decisions. Let's do okay, this. That was called Armageddon. Okay. This Armag- one is called Armageddon. From Within. I think I'm liking this one more. Me too. I'm into it. I can hear a psalm okay. over that. You could hear a psalm? So okay. the first one. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right. And then here's the last one. This one's called Faker. No, that one's not bad. It's a, yeah. it's a little too much Chevy commercial to me. It was a Chevy commercial. Oh, see, to me, it's, but I liked it too. It felt very much like Stone Temple Pilots. Sure, sure, it was Chevy commercial. I, from that one. I like From Within the best. <laughs> okay, I liked the second two the best, or I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, the final two. Okay, two and three were my favorites, but okay, I think I'll go with two also. Although, All right, that's what's going to be. Yeah. Okay. From Within by Michael Bruguglio. Oh, Michael Bruguglio. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> you're, Thank you, Michael. You're the winner of our <laughs> Battle of the Bands here, Michael. Congratulations. <laughs> we will see you in a few episodes when ASAF does their tour. Woo. Hell yeah. Alrighty, everyone. Well, thank you so much. We will see you next week for more Drunk Bible Study. We can't wait. See you then.